morning, everybody. How are you today? Wonderful. I am doing great, too. I'm excited to be here, excited to get into God's word with you, excited for the worship that we just had. Man, after Kim's prayer, I don't really feel like I need to preach. She just, she hit all the points, peace through the pain, joy through the journey, uh, tranquility through the trouble. Uh, she, man, great job. And boy, that's just got me pumped up and excited to be here. We're going to look at God's word in a little bit here. First thing I want to do is just uh, thank Andrew for preaching last week. Uh, it was great to be able to just come here with my kids. My, my wife was away for the weekend and uh, I just came here and sat down here with my two oldest while my youngest was downstairs and just to come to church and get to be part of the church body is such a special thing. I'm so thankful for our preaching team that we have here. And you know, we're adding to it. So Kyle Howard is our newest pastor and he'll get to speak to you next year. So you'll get to hear from him and just very thankful for all the different people that God has brought to us to be able to communicate God's word to us. Uh, you may be wondering why we're still in Acts right now, why we haven't already dived into some kind of a Christmas topic. And every year since I've been here, I think we've done a Christmas-themed series in December. And this year, we already interrupted our study of Acts for my sabbatical because the teachers at that time didn't want to keep going in Acts. They wanted to do something different. So we did the verse that changed everything. And then when I got back from my sabbatical, we continued our interruption of Acts for the Created to Connect series. And so looking at the possibility of doing another four-week or five-week sort of mini-series and and interrupting Acts again, we just decided, you know what, let's just keep Acts going. So next week, it will be a Christmas-focused message. It's all going to be about the hope of Jesus Christ for the world. And of course, he came to us on Christmas, or that's what we celebrate And so that will be next week, Um, but that's why we're kind of still in Acts. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 19 if you want to turn there in your Bibles right now. Next week our services are at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. It is going to be the same service at both. That is a huge blessing to our volunteers, especially our worship volunteers, so they don't have to create completely different worship sets and everything for two different services on the same day. But you can choose to come to either of those or both. There are some differences you should know about. One is the 10 a.m. service is not going to have any child care provided. The 4 p.m. service, which traditionally is our really big one, where a lot of the families like to come, that will have child care available for 24 months and under. Also, one of the services will have donuts. The other service will have cookies. So choose wisely or come to both, and you decide which one's better. Uh, the other thing is a couple of weeks ago, are, are people wanting to know which one's which? I heard, I heard some... some little murmuring out there. Which service do you think has donuts and which service do you think has cookies? You can ask the person next to you. You'll figure it out. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that God is giving us these exciting opportunities to invest in younger believers and help train them up to be leaders in his kingdom. And things have developed even more on that front. And and there's more exciting stuff happening there that I I can't wait to dive into more next year. But there's something else brewing right now too, that I I wasn't sure if I should mention it today, but I'll I'll go ahead and throw it out there um, just in case. I've been talking with a lot of people, uh, especially young adults in the last couple of months, few months, who feel like they kind of slipped through the gaps 
in Christian community and want to connect with people that are like them. And since I started talking with people, that group has grown to uh, college students, young adults, young professionals, young marrieds, single adults of a, a variety of ages who just feel like, how do I find people like me in the same stage of life? So I, I've got an idea that I've been working on with some other people to try to create community for those groups. And uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out yet, but I wanted to mention it because if you're in one of those groups and would like to be a part of it, or you know someone who is a, a follower of Jesus and would just, it'd be great for them to connect with other people in the same stage of life, walk of life, season of life. Uh, just send them my way. My email address is pastor at efree.org and, uh, and we're gonna look to start something in January to help out with that. Well, I wanna get you talking with each other for a little bit and I know all the introverts love it when I do this, but it's too late now, you've already sat down. So I have a question for you and I want you to share with each other your answer and it is this, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? All right, real biblical topic to get us started. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Go ahead, share with each other, and then we'll come back in a couple minutes. guess that some of you chose superpowers that were very thoughtful and some of you chose superpowers that were very spiritual because you're in church and some of you probably chose superpowers that were a little weird and the ones I want to hear are the weird ones so who heard the weirdest superpower anybody a weird unusual yes the power to eat whatever you want and not gain any calories. Don't you wish you had thought of that? That's amazing. Any other interesting ones? The ability to talk to dolphins. Yes, there is a superpower. I mean, that exists with Aquaman, obviously. I don't know if that's real or not. It, I saw a kid do it. He was standing in front of a big fish tank. And anyway, yes. Easy transportation, like like teleportation, just like boom, I'm in another spot. Yeah, that'd be that'd be amazing. I love that. Okay, what's the most spiritual one you heard, Evelyn? Being able to see the future, I love it. Okay, what else? Instant healing. Yeah, be able to heal people right away. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That's related to what we're going to talk about today, actually. Spoiler alert. What else? Raise the dead, I think I heard somebody say. Bring them back to life. I mean, if they're in heaven with Jesus, they might be upset at you, but... <laughs> what you bring me back for? 
Couldn't she have chosen the superpower of healing instead of raising the dead? Anyway. In the early service, someone chose the superpower to bring everyone to Jesus. Don't you feel guilty? Shouldn't that have been all of our answers? I think so. Superpowers have had a resurgence lately, a renaissance, if you will, in our entertainment, right? And in movies, we've had this, uh, you know, this period of time with Marvel superheroes and Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and then DC got in on the action yet again, and you have Batman and Superman and all these different characters that come out, ones we've never heard of before that are now our favorites. And we've had this neat little stretch of superhero fascination that seems like it maybe is for some people dying down a little bit now. We've always been fascinated by superheroes, right? It's super interesting for us to think about. And it's easy for us in the middle of that to forget that superpowers are not just a fiction. They are actually real. In fact, some of the superpowers that were mentioned today, most of them, in fact, we actually have real examples of in God's word of those types of things happening. And so superpowers are not something that's actually impossible. It's just impossible in our physical, natural world. You kind of kind of think about it like the world of the ants. And if you've if you think about it from the ants' perspective, sticks do not just magically pick themselves up and shove themselves in ant holes and start digging around, right? But take someone outside the ants' world and bring them into it, and let's say a four-year-old boy. And you're going to have a stick that gets picked up and shoved into an ant's hole, and suddenly the impossible becomes possible. And that's all a superpower is. It's something that wouldn't normally be possible in our natural world, but it becomes possible when something outside that natural world interacts with it. And we see this with God and we see this with the spirit world all the time, where you have something acting on our natural world, doing something that we think is impossible. And so we call it a miracle, right? It's a miracle, something that we think shouldn't happen, but in fact, it does happen, and the Bible covers this for us. Now, the Greeks and the Romans were fascinated by superpowers, too. Only for them, it wasn't superheroes. It was mythologies and gods, right? Gods and goddesses. They had all of these different incredible, uh, fantastical stories about the gods and their powers and the things that they could do and their backstories and their character flaws and all of this stuff. And, and if you compare that actually with a Judeo-Christian theology, ours looks kind of boring. You know, we don't have all of the exciting stuff that they had, but that's because ours is designed differently. Greek and Roman mythologies uh, created fantastical tales and a lot of it did have to do with entertainment. A lot of it had to do with um, culture and even tourism. And so you'd want to build a temple and have this incredible mythology around the God of that temple. And then people would come to it and spend money and and all of those things. Are you guys getting that echo again? Did we just take care of it? I'm hearing an echo up here, kind of like we did last week with Andrew. Are we okay? We good now? Sweet. Thank you. Maybe you didn't hear it, but up here, I'm hearing this crazy uh, feedback going on. But I I think it's good now. So I think we'll be okay. So where was I? Roman mythologies, Greek mythologies, super interesting. We've been fascinated by superpowers and superheroes for a very long time. And in our text today, we're going to see some superpowers take place. We're going to see it happen uh, coming from God. We're going to see it happen coming from other spirit beings. We're going to see it happen with people who were granted superpowers. And it's going to be awesome. So my message today is called Superpowers. We're in Acts chapter 19. Before we go there, I wonder if you'd just bow your heads with me. Let's start by praying. And and I'm, I'm well aware that our weeks have been crazy. And some of us are going through some stuff. And right now, we're just going to try to quiet our hearts and listen to our Heavenly Father. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here, knowing that in other places around the world, this would be a crime. In other places around the world, we would be in fear doing this or have to do it secretly in in underground churches, and yet we have this incredible freedom to be here. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of gathering with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and just opening up your words and learning from them and singing songs loudly to you. What a privilege, Lord. I pray that you would help us to put aside the distractions of the week, the discouragement, the things at work, the things with our family, the things with our friends, the insecurity, the loneliness that we feel, the anxiety, the the anxiety we feel about Christmas and and some of the things that we're going to be doing and going to family gatherings or the loneliness that we experience, whatever it is, God, help us to, to just focus on you for the next 30, 40 minutes, Lord, and teach us something that's gonna help us live better the way you want us to live and represent you on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Acts chapter 19, and I've divided this text into four different passages or four different sections, each of them having to do with power. So the first one is called powerful words. Powerful words. Look at verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. I want to point out a few things about this passage to you about Paul that I think can actually be very encouraging for us today. The first one is that Paul knew the scriptures really well. Paul was well educated. You know, from the time he was a boy, he was learning the scriptures as a Jewish boy. And he even said that he was taught under Gamaliel. This was a a scholar's scholar in the Jewish community. He was a, a rabbinical teacher. And in fact, Later on, rabbis would write about him and say that when Gamaliel died, the love for the law died. That's how important he was. That's who Paul learned from. So he knew the scriptures really, really well. He also knew the arguments really well. And so Paul had by now faced lots of Jewish opposition and Jewish leaders. So he knew what they were going to say. He knew how they were going to argue with him. He knew how to counter their counters to the message about Jesus. He knew the scriptures well. He knew the arguments well, but he was willing to firmly but lovingly disagree with them. So a lot of times when we get into disagreements with people, it can become heated and we can We can sort of veer into ad hominem attacks where we attack the person instead of continuing to focus on our argument. But the text says that he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. He argued to convince them of the truth, not just to score points against them, not to try to take them down or tear them down, not to try to prove them wrong just to be mean, but to try to show them where they're wrong so they could believe in the truth. He argued persuasively. So he was firm, but he was loving in how he countered them. But here's what's very interesting to me. Paul was willing to move on when they stubbornly rejected God's truth. Do you see that there in verse 9? So Paul left the synagogue. They became stubborn, rejected his message, publicly speaking against the way. So he left the synagogue and took the believers with him. He was willing to move on. 
when other people just flat out rejected the truth. And this is encouraging to me for a couple of reasons. The first one is he knows the scriptures well. He knows the arguments well. He can argue persuasively. And yet still some people rejected his message. And there will be people that you share Jesus with and share your faith with who you think will be so close and they won't accept it. And and it could rack you with guilt or frustration or, or just become so discouraging. It could even make you not want to share your faith anymore when people reject the message that you share with them. And you have to remember they rejected Paul too. Paul did not bat a thousand with people. Neither did Jesus for that matter. I mean, here are two people of all the people in the world who you'd think everyone who comes in contact with them must be convinced and believe, but it's not just up to the messenger. It's also up to the recipient. And so we need to remember that not everyone we share Christ with is going to accept, and that's okay. It shouldn't stop us from sharing the message of the gospel. But the second thing that I find encouraging about this is here's Paul. He is a steadfast guy. It takes a lot to stop Paul from doing anything. Shipwrecks, beatings, attempted murder, all sorts of stuff happened to this guy, and he just keeps going. He's the energizer bunny of apostles. Just nothing stops him. He's just going and going and going and going. And yet, he reached a point where he said, I need to move on. He reached a point where he said, I have shared the truth with you. And now it is time for me to move on and step away. And that's an encouragement for me as well, because there are times where we need to share the truth and then be willing to say, this is not going anywhere. I need to move on. There are times where we share the truth lovingly with people. And then we get to a point where we realize if this continues any longer, it's going to turn from me trying to argue persuasively on your behalf into just being an argument that actually fractures relationships and hinders relationships. And so sometimes we do just need to be willing to say, I've shared the truth to go any further is actually not going to do any good. And now like Paul, I need to lovingly and graciously move on. For some of you getting ready for family gatherings in the next couple of weeks, that's all you needed to hear today was just share the truth. And, love. and if that's someone next to you, just give them a nudge. Like, yeah, just remember that next week when we get together with my family. You can share it once and then lovingly move on. But for the rest of us, let's keep going in Acts chapter 19 with the second section, which is now we've seen powerful words. These are powerful acts, powerful acts. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. What kind of unusual miracles? When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Like what someone mentioned here, a superpower to be able to heal people. Only this wasn't just the ability for Paul to heal people. This was the ability to take a piece of cloth that he had touched and then take that to someone who is sick and heal them with it. That's pretty crazy. And I would like to have that ability, wouldn't you? That would be amazing. And yet we don't even see anything like that with Jesus, right? The closest we get to that with Jesus is the woman that approaches him in the crowd and touches his garment and is healed. But nothing like this where it's like you take any cloth that Jesus touched and just boom, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. How incredible would that be? And of course, it leads us to some interesting questions. Why was this happening? What are we to make of all of this? Why would God give Paul this special ability, this power that seems like it could lead to a lot of maybe mysticism or relics or idolizing the objects? You know, we don't, we don't actually have any of those pieces of cloth today that came from Paul. You'd think they would have kind of kept those around and kept them safe, right? Heal all the world. You know, why, why isn't there someplace we can go today and be like, boom, healed, healed, healed. This was a piece of cloth that Paul touched. 
But then more importantly, what do we do with that today? What about the people that claim they have that ability today? When I read a passage like this, I feel like we just have to talk about those kinds of things because those are the questions that come to mind. We actually know why God gave Paul these abilities and why God used miracles and healings in the Bible. And it wasn't just so people could feel better. I'll give you the point and then I'll get into some scripture about it. The superpowers gave Paul credibility in a time when it was nearly impossible to test a radical new spiritual teacher. There was no internet. There weren't public libraries all over the place. There were no phones so that information could spread quickly. And so it was challenging for the average person to research and get answers. Some of us remember what it was like to live in a time where you had a question pop into your head about a famous person or about a movie or about a historical event, and you didn't have the ability to look up instantly the answer to that question. Some of us don't remember a time when that didn't exist, but, but do you remember, some of you, what it was like to have a question like that? Like, who was it that starred in that film again? And the person with you goes, I don't know. And then you go, I guess we'll never know. That's not a problem anymore. You don't even have to type it now. You just speak it. You ask it your question and it gives it back to you. But that's not what it was like in Bible times. You didn't have the ability to get that information that quickly before phones, before email, before the internet, before all of these kind of technological things. So how could you tell if some new radical teaching was really from God quickly enough to be able to act on it? For these people in their their lives and their beliefs, they didn't have time to wait for a council to go convene and research this stuff in a faraway place and eventually after a year to come out with their answers and eventually after several more years, they would be able to spread that information. Yes, we have decided that this actually is is verified teaching. They, They didn't have that kind of time. So how did God verify them and validate the message? He did it through signs and wonders, miracles that couldn't be denied if you knew the people that were healed. When Jesus went around and healed people, he was healing people that had very obvious and known disabilities where a lot of people could tell this is legit. Jesus did not take the same person walking in with crutches into every village and then heal them over and over again. He wasn't a huckster. He didn't do that. And Jesus didn't heal people who came up and said, I've got a stiff knee. Could you make it a little better? That wasn't the kind of healing we're talking about. We're talking about people who are blind from birth People who had been lame, unable to walk for 20 years. And the whole community knows this is not a hoax. These are real, verifiable miracles. Not just to make these people's lives better, although that's awesome. But it's to validate the message of Jesus. And eventually the message of Paul. A lot of the supposed healing ministries of today are allegedly improving something that's unverifiable. And I've been in many of these services personally, not just here, but around the world. I've, I've been in places where people were being taught how to do this kind of stuff. And so I've seen firsthand the way that it tends to work. And maybe some of you have too. And I have yet to see a case where I've seen someone who has a big ministry and a TV show and a private jet and someone comes to them with a verifiable, serious condition that's obvious to everybody. And then there's documented evidence of they had no medical help and now they're completely healed. I haven't seen that. I've seen a whole lot of I've got some aches in my back. And he comes over and he lays hands and he says some words and maybe prays and he hypes up the crowd a little bit. And because of the dopamine and the adrenaline and the peer pressure and the whole experience, and the, the, do you feel any better? Yeah, I feel a little better. I've seen a lot of that, a whole bunch of that. But I have not seen a lot of verified cases of someone where God has given this ability that Paul evidently had to come in and just say, you're healed or even take the, 
the cloth that Paul touched and suddenly they are healed. I'm very skeptical of a lot of the faith healers today. It doesn't seem to fit the biblical model because the biblical model was not, we heal you so you can feel better. The biblical model was we heal you because we're trying to prove that this really is from God. Let me show you what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle for I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. That was the reason, that was the purpose. That's why he didn't heal everybody in the world or everybody even in the community. It was demonstrations of power to prove the, uh, the message of the apostle. In Acts 2, Peter says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And so even the miracles of Jesus were just to make people's lives better. They were to demonstrate the validity of his message. In Acts 14, we read, the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. And so the purpose of miracles and healings in the Bible wasn't so everybody could feel better. It wasn't to, to make everyone well, and it wasn't to give this idea that if you come to Jesus, all of your ailments are going to be cured. That was never the point. The point was to validate the message. This is radical new teaching that's coming out here in the New Testament for these people that they've never heard before, and it needed radical proof so that they could know without the ability to go research and look everything up and test everything, they could know, wow, I saw Bill, who's been unable to walk for the last 30 years, just get up and jump around. There's something real going on here. Now, the reality of this is that after Satan witnessed all of this, this led to spiritual copycats. This led to false spiritual powers who are against God attempting to do the same sorts of things and maybe even doing those things today and certainly will do those things in the future to lead people astray. Here's what Jesus said about that. He said, false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. In other words, Jesus is saying there will be people who come along and do signs and wonders that look amazing and impossible. They're superpowers, and it's, they're even going to try to deceive and lead astray the people that have already believed in God and are a part of his family. Distract them. Take them out of the game. Get them following after something that is not truly from God. Paul describes a future prophet, the Antichrist, this way. He says, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power. And signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So, listen, we need to be aware. We need to be aware that not everything we see that seems amazing and fantastical is actually from God. Not everybody that claims to do something supernatural or powerful is actually going to be from God. God. Now, I, I do believe that God still does miracles today. I do believe that God still heals. I do believe that we are invited to ask God and pray for healing. Absolutely do believe that. I want to be clear about that. And what I don't see today is evidence that God is still doing the types of things that he did through Paul. I don't see these televangelists who all they ask for, all they ask for, it's a small thing, is $49.95, and they will ship you a little prayer cloth that you can take and pray over and eventually it's going to heal your psoriasis or whatever. 
I, I just don't see evidence of that. That doesn't match the biblical model of why we have healings and why we have miracles. So we've looked at two sections so far. Let's look at the third. We had powerful words. We have powerful acts. Now we're going to look at powerful enemies. This is my favorite section right here. Powerful enemies. Acts 19.13. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. Okay, that's what they were doing. They tried to use the name of the Lord in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, and I want you to imagine this in your creepiest demonic voice possible, okay? Because it's way cooler. I know Jesus, and I know Paul. But who are you? Did you just get goosebumps? That like makes me shiver. That's crazy. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Can you imagine the fear on those seven guys' faces when they heard this? Because they've been having some success up to this point, and which we'll get into in a minute. And now all of a sudden they come across a demon that's like, what? No. And then what happens? The man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. These weren't believers in Jesus, these seven sons of Sceva. They were Jewish men. And actually, it was a common thing back then then for um, Jewish teachers to go around and try to cast out spirits and things. What the text seems to indicate here is that they must have had some success, actually. And why would that be? I have a theory. I think it's because as they went around and used the name of Paul in the name of Jesus, demons are individuals with minds, with wills, with even the capacity to be deceived, to be fooled and led astray. I mean, they certainly have that. They were initially led astray by Satan. And so I suspect that when these seven men showed up and said, we command you in the name of Jesus and Paul to leave him, the demon was like, Jesus and Paul, oh, no, thank you. I want nothing to do with that. I'm out of here. And so they probably had some success until they come across this demon. And this demon seems to have some personal knowledge of Jesus and Paul. He says, I know Jesus. I know Paul. You are nothing like him. This demon was probably cast out by Jesus at some point. This demon was probably cast out by Paul at some point. He knows the pattern. He knows what to expect. He knows that these men are not from God. And so he doesn't have to fear them. Initially, Demons might have heard this and gone, whoa, I don't know about that. But this one knows, no, this is nothing, Jesus. This is nothing like Paul. And so he overpowers them and he beats them up and they run away without their clothes. Imagine how scary that was. One guy against seven men and he just destroyed them. See, these seven people thought they had power. But they didn't understand what was really going on. They didn't understand where the power really came from and that they didn't actually have any power. There was no power in this incantation that they were giving, even though they seemed to see some success for it. And it's another reason why we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful even the Christian leaders that we follow because they may seem to have some success and they may seem to have some good teaching, but we have to evaluate against God's word and say, is this true, the things that they're saying? Of course, the most important thing we need to evaluate is what they say about Jesus and salvation. There are a lot of Christian teachers out there online, on TV, on the radio, and there are many good ones, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're all bad by any means. There are lots of good, good ones, but there are some that seem to be good Until you start to talk about what does it mean to confess your sin to God? What does it mean to repent from sin? And what constitutes sin that we need to confess and repent from? And and what does it mean to be made right with God? What does that take? Is Is that a gift that God gives us and we don't have to earn to work for it? Or is there something else I have to do? 
What is the method by which we are saved? And you get into some of those things. And sometimes some of the most popular and famous Christian leaders out there fall apart because they don't actually preach the good news about Jesus. Even though other aspects of their ministry may seem good, they may have good teaching, they may do some good things. Paul told the Galatians, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Paul didn't say that about secondary issues. He said that about the gospel. That's what here at First Free Church, we say that's part of our dogma bucket. We have dogma, doctrine, conviction, and preference as our four buckets of belief. And the dogma is the most important bucket. It's defined as those things that are incontrovertibly true in God's word. It's obvious and provable from God's word. The good news about Jesus Christ and how we become a follower of his. There are lots of other things that we can disagree with and agree to disagree on. But when it comes to the gospel message, that's the most important thing. And we have to test all of the people that are influencing us by do they have the true gospel, the true good news about Jesus. Last section, powerful reputation. We've had powerful words and powerful actions and powerful enemies, and now a powerful reputation. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, as you can imagine. That's an incredible story. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. That's a message that I almost decided to preach. What would it look like for the name of Jesus to be more honored among us? But that's just something to, to think about. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Ephesus was a center for the occult and sorcery. And so there was a lot of that going on. It was very popular. And these people, it's incredible. The word spreads about Jesus. And so they start to honor his name. They start to realize that, wow, these guys did not have actual power. Maybe they thought they did. Some of us thought they did. But these guys did not have actual power. Paul, Jesus, actual power. And so Jesus' name is revered and honored. And the most amazing thing happens when people who have been into the occult and into sorcery believe in, in this news about Jesus and, and this message. They believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's a power there that it transforms their lives. And they decide, they're so changed. I want to get rid of all that stuff that I was into before. All of the stuff that I was doing to try to get power. Because that's what it is, Right? It's all, how can I get power over this world, power over other people, power over relationships, power in my life to do things I want or keep things away that I don't want. That's what that sorcery and witchcraft is all about. It's about power. And they realize this is all worthless. And so I'm going to get rid of all of it. Millions of dollars worth of books. I was sharing this message with some of our staff earlier this week, and one of them brought up the story of Kat Von D. Now, do any of you know who Kat Von D is? I had no idea. I thought it was some historical character. Turns out it's a reality show tattoo artist. Okay, here's what Kat Von D looks like. Uh, Kat, Kat Von D is a famous, not famous to me, but to other people, tattoo artist who has been really into the occult and witchcraft for a long time. It's a big part of her brand, actually. And sometime in the last few years, she learned about Jesus and trusted in Jesus. And her life was radically transformed. 
She started getting rid of all of the stuff in her life that did not honor Jesus. And so I want to show you, this is one of the posts that she made earlier this year with all of the books of witchcraft and sorcery that she was getting rid of because of this new life that she had, this transformed life. And then just a few weeks ago, she was baptized in a church. She looks a little different now. She's been covering up all of her tattoos because she had so many tattoos all over her body that had to do with the occult and witchcraft. It was a huge part of her life. And she's just completely moving away from that now. It's a radical transformation in her life. And it brings me to my final thing that I want to leave you with. I have a few things I want to leave you with, but the biggest thing is what's the real superpower? What's the real power? It's in the good news of Jesus. The real power is not in the healings and the miracles. Those are great, but the gospel is where the real power is. That's the power. There's power in the message of the good news of Jesus. And so Luke says at the end of verse 20 in Acts 19, he says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a, what? Anybody got it in front of you? What did, it, what did the message of the Lord have? A powerful effect. It was the message that had a powerful effect moving forward. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. In 1 Corinthians, he said, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The real power is in the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And other people may mock it and they may find it foolish. And I get that. But there is an unbelievable power in the message of the gospel and believing in it to transform lives and change people, radically change people. So what do I want you to leave with today? A few things. I want you to remember as you share Jesus with others that even the most knowledgeable and well-educated and well-prepared Christian speaker in human history, the Apostle Paul, had people reject his message sometimes. So don't let that keep you from sharing with other people. I want you to remember that the enemies of Jesus sometimes masquerade as ministers of light and they can even do good things and we need to be discerning and careful to always evaluate them and test them against God's word to see if what they're really teaching is true. I want you to remember that there are spiritual forces of darkness in the world trying to keep people out of God's kingdom, trying to distract them and keep them busy with other things. In fact, Jesus even said working to deceive if possible, even God's chosen ones, even God's elect. They're trying to distract us and keep us out of being involved and engaged in the body of Christ and in God's kingdom. So pray against those evil forces. Keep your life fixed on Jesus, focused on him and everything that you do. Most important thing, I want you to remember that there's power in the good news about Jesus. That's where the real power is. I would love to have a superpower, but it appears that the greatest power that God has bestowed on most of us is the ability to communicate the message of the gospel, which he calls the power of God for salvation. Now, it's entirely possible that there are people in this room right now or watching us online right now who have never experienced that power in their life. Because they've never given their life over to Jesus. They've never trusted in him. And so I want to close today by sharing what that good news is, that message is. And probably most of you have heard it before. But just in case someone hasn't or you need to hear it in a different way. You need to know that what we celebrate next week with Jesus coming to this earth as a baby is not just about presence. It's not just about the nativity scene. It's because of what he did 
later in life and dying on a cross for our sins. Dying in a very public way, by the way. A public way so that hundreds of people who would later see him risen from the dead verify, I saw him up there, I know he died, and now he is here in front of me. So that this message could be passed down all the way to us by all these witnesses who could verify he was, he was alive, he died on the cross, he rose again, and so the message he brings must be true. Again, it's all a way to validate the message. By Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took the sins of all people onto him so he could pay for them. And, and the scripture says, in the verse I, I read earlier in Romans 1, It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. That's the most amazing thing about the good news about Jesus. There's no entrance exam. God doesn't expect you to clean up your life so that you can become a part of his family. In fact, it works the other way around. You have to invite him into your life and become a part of his family, and then he'll help you clean up your life. It's amazing how he does that. It's so gracious and merciful and kind of him. And so if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you haven't shared that with someone that you need to, do that this week. Do that next week. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. There is power in it. Don't feel like, oh, this is foolish. They're just going to mock it. Maybe they will. They're just going to reject me. Maybe they will. They rejected Jesus. They rejected Paul too. But for those that are willing to consider it and evaluate and fairly look at it and then believe the message, there is a radical power to transform lives. I, I wondered as I researched Kat Von D this week, how her friends felt about this transformation. She's a different person now. And I wonder if they look at that and think, how could this have possibly happened? I wonder if any of them are now thinking, hmm, maybe there's something to this. The power of the gospel is to transform lives and not only make us live a better life on this earth, but spend eternity with God, be a part of his family, have our sins forgiven, have the righteousness of Jesus applied to us and our account with God so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us for our sin. All of us are sinners but he sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why don't we all bow our heads right now, if you don't mind. Just close your eyes for a minute. I want to give you a chance to think. I guess two things that I want to leave you with here. One is, is there someone that you need to share the good news with that you've been putting off? Maybe out of fear of rejection, maybe fear of not knowing enough, maybe fear of being mocked or ridiculed. Pray for the boldness to share Jesus like you should. And for anybody who's here or watching online who's never trusted their life to Jesus, let me tell you how you can do that. You can just pray to God right where you are, in your heart, in your mind. Tell him that you know you're a sinner. Tell him that you know you deserve to be separated from him. You don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness. But you know that Jesus paid the price for you. So you don't have to. He paid for your sin. So turn that all over to God and just invite Jesus into your life and say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I want to repent from it. I want to turn away from it. I want to live a different life. Forgive me, God. Give me new life with you. Jesus, come into my life. Make me a new, new spiritual person so that I can change my life to live for you. Listen, if you pray that prayer today, you become a child of God and your life can be radically transformed. Many of us here have experienced it and we can tell you it's true. It's powerful. It's powerful. Jesus, thank you so much for inspiring Luke to write down these words for us so that today, 2,000 years later, we would be able to know how you interacted 
with uh, people through Paul, how you validated the message and how you continue to use the power of the gospel in our lives today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live it out this week. I pray that you'd help us to share it with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.